Well, we're going to continue, wrap up really our series. Uh, we've been talking about this idea of being a servant throughout the month. And today I want to talk about some characteristics, particularly five characteristics um, about being a servant or of a servant. And I want to use the life of someone that we read about in the Old Testament. And if you are not familiar with this individual, this guy is the the guy in the Old Testament. There's a couple of guys in the Old Testament that we could argue, you know, maybe they're the guy, but this is one of those guys that he has uh, played such an important role in the Old Testament, in the, the book of the law, and his name is Moses, and I want to give us five characteristics of being a servant that we see in his life, and I believe will challenge us in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first the first characteristic is this, that a servant is humble. A servant is humble. Now, Moses was someone who was raised in the palace. I can only imagine how difficult it would have been for someone in that situation to be humble. But he was raised as the daughter of, uh, of uh, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, he lived in Egypt until he was 40 years old, but as we're going to find out a little bit later, he wound up uh, at 40 years old killing an Egyptian, and so he had to flee from Egypt. And he spent the next 40 years in the desert being a shepherd. Quite a big change. But when God appears to Moses in the book of Exodus... God speaks to Moses from out of a burning bush. And God says, I have heard the cries of my people. And I want to deliver them. In fact, I want to take them out of Egypt. And I want to take them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want you to remember that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, they are not from Egypt. They were the family of Abraham, and they were in this land of Canaan that God had, was giving to them. But because of famine in the land, they wound up going to Egypt, and now they've been there for several hundred years. And God says, it's time to take them out. Pharaoh has enslaved them. I have heard what they have cried out to me. And now it's time to get them out of there. And what God was really saying is, Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. Some of the scariest words that I think any of us could ever hear from God. I'm going to do something and I'm going to use you to do it. We're all okay with God doing stuff. We're just not okay with him using us to actually get it done. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I want you to notice here that 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 Moses immediately is turning God down. Now, if God appears to you in a burning bush and speaks to you audibly from that bush, your answer to him should be yes. But Moses is saying, no, God, I, 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 I'm, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
It's not something that I think you should. And, and he, Moses knew what, what Pharaoh was like. He knew what Egypt was like. So he was completely aware of what it was like to be royalty in that nation. Now, some of us, maybe we would have a little different opinion than Moses. Maybe some of us would say, okay, Lord, it's about time. All right, I'm finally going to get my shot here to be used in something big. But that wasn't what Moses said. Moses literally said to God, God, you've got the wrong guy. In fact, God, I don't even talk well. Lord, you may not know this, but I stutter. You've got the wrong guy. I am not the person that you should be using to do this. As I read that about Moses in the book of Exodus, I'm reminded of, of a man named Ian. Ian grew up in Wales. And when Ian was a, a teenager, Ian felt that God was calling him into the ministry. And so Ian did what some of us did when we were young and felt God calling us into the ministry. He dared to tell people that God was calling him. And his friends and his family said, Ian, I don't think God is really calling you into the ministry because Ian, you have a little bit of a problem. You stutter. How can you pastor? How can you preach? How can you do the things that God is going to want you to do when you can't even talk right? But Ian decided, you know what? I believe God called me, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a Bible training institute, and I'm going to get my education, and I'm going to answer the call of God. Maybe that's you when you sense that God is calling you to do something for him. And you say, God, I, I, I can't be the one. I'm not the one. I do not have the ability. I, 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 can't, I can't speak in front of people. They say that the greatest fear that we have in our society is public speaking. That we fear public speaking more than we fear death itself. Do you know what that means? That at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than the one given the eulogy. Ian went to Bible college, and the moment he walked through the doors, he never stuttered again. In fact, he was one of my professors in my Bible college and had 4,000 sermons memorized. God used him mightily, but he had to answer the call. He had to say yes Moses, in his lifetime, was used to do incredible miracles. It would have been easy for Moses to be proud. The Bible says that God spoke face to face with Moses. In the Old Testament, there was, there was almost no one other than maybe Abraham or maybe King David that, that could say, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of God's guy here. And yet, Moses was incredibly humble. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You know, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Notice, those words were written by Moses. <laughs> I want you to think about that. 
I want you to think how hard that would have been written because God was, God was speaking through the Holy Spirit, carrying Moses along as he did the other authors to write the word of God. And God said, Moses, I want you to tell him that you're the most humble man there is. Can you imagine the argument that would have taken place? God, please. Don't make me write this because thousands of years from now, people are going to be sitting in church and they are going to read that I wrote those words. God, don't make me do that. You know, Moses' humility was not a false humility, but a real true humility. So how should you and I define humility today? I love what the apostle Paul writes of Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. He's writing of Jesus, but he's telling this to us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That word humility, it means having a modest estimate of one's importance. So we have to ask ourselves, do I value others above myself? Do I look to the interest of others? Am I a servant? And as a servant, am I humble? I believe God is calling us and desires us to be humble. Number two, a servant never gives up. I want you to remember back to the life of Moses and how God delivered the people of Egypt after 10 plagues, 10 plagues, and Moses spoke them all into being. And every time a plague came to the end, Moses said, the plague will be done. Read it. 10 plagues after leaving Egypt and getting to the Red Sea, they were being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the pillar of fire separated the Egyptian army who was bearing down on them from from, uh, keeping them from destroying the Hebrews. And then what did God tell Moses? I want you to take that stick in your hand and I want you to reach out over the Red Sea and I want you to command it to part. And the scripture says that the Red Sea parted. Now, if I am part of the Egyptian army, the last thing I want to do when that pillar of, of fire finally gets out of the way is follow them through the Red Sea. And the scripture says that under command they did so, and then the water closed up on top of them and destroyed the Egyptian army. Moses leads the people of Israel to Mount Sinai. And God says, Moses, I want you to come up here. I want to talk to you. I want to give you some laws. I want to give you some things that you can use to govern the people so that my people can follow me. Things that you and I still talk about today. They're called the Ten Commandments. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. And while Moses is gone, in fact, he's gone for weeks, the people get a little bit itchy. The people get a little bit panicked. And so they come to Moses' brother Aaron and they said, Aaron, we want you to make us a God that we can worship. We want you to create a God out of gold so that we know who to worship. Moses has been gone. He's probably dead. He's not coming back. We've got to do something. So we're going to do what we've seen done by the people in Egypt. We're going to do what we've seen done by the people in Canaan. We're going to worship this golden God. 
And Aaron, being the incredible brother of Moses that he was, he said, okay, bring me all your gold jewelry. And he created, he created that golden calf. Well, Moses is coming down after 40 days on the mountain. And he said, man, I hear some noise. He said it to Joshua, who was waiting far down the hill for him. He said, there's some noise. What is this noise? It sounds like war. And Moses said, no, it's the sound of partying. These people are partying. And God says, Moses, step aside. Again, when God says step aside, I just want to say how far. Step aside, Moses, because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to destroy them. In fact, I'm going to start over and I'm going to use you to start over. Can you imagine what Moses thought, what Moses felt? It's a good thing I'm not Moses because I might have been tempted to say, you know what, God? I agree. I agree. Let them have it. Let them have it. They're, they're, they're just a bunch of complainers anyway. Let's, let's start over, just you and me. It's got to turn out better than this. I want you to understand that Moses actually argued with God. Some of you, God's been training you your whole life to maybe to do that, I'm not sure. Moses argued with God. He debated with God. He said, God, you can't do that because what are people going to think? What are people going to think about you? What are, gonna, what are people going to think about you bringing your people out into the desert just to kill them? What, what is that going to mean, God? What are people going to think? Look at Exodus chapter 32 and verse 14. So after God has, has been arguing with Moses and Moses has been trying to get his point across to God, talk about a tough argument to have. Look at what it says in verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses never gave up. Could you imagine how different the story would be if Moses had given, it, had given up and just washed his hands of them and said, I'm done. But he didn't do that. He didn't give up. And look at Exodus 32, verse 32. It says, but now, please forgive their sin. This is another occasion later in his leadership. God, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses didn't give up on his people. He didn't give up, obviously, on God. He didn't give up on the promised land, not for himself. In fact, we read in the story that Moses never made it to the promised land. God said, go up on a hill, I'll let you see it from there, but you're not going in. You're not going in because you've disobeyed me. And so Moses didn't get to see and didn't get to experience, rather, the promised land, but he didn't give up, not for himself, but for his people. And sometimes giving up on serving is so easy to do. In fact, we sometimes, we slip into this, this, uh, this feeling of, you know, people really aren't that grateful anymore. So why should I serve? Why should I care about another person's needs? Why should I serve them? Because they're not very thankful anyway. Sometimes we, we judge their attitudes. Sometimes we judge their perceived needs. 
Sometimes we judge the kind of car they drive. Well, if they, they've got that need and they're driving that car, it's the truth. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not expecting amens here, okay? It is so easy to want to, to give up on serving because we are judging those things. We see the latest vacation that they took on Facebook and we see the pictures and now we hear that they're in need and, and we have an opportunity to serve and meet that need. And we're thinking, well, you know, I, you, you were just on vacation. How can you have a need like that? Galatians chapter six and verse nine, the apostle Paul says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We can't give up on serving. And the ultimate goal of serving is that God is going to bring about a harvest for himself. That God is going to bring about that harvest. And it's not because we're so good. It's not because we're the ones that are serving. It's because of God and his power. And we can't give up in this process. And if we will continue, God is going to bring about that harvest. Characteristic number three A servant longs to please the master. After the golden calf worship debacle, God says, okay, I want you to to go. I'm going to send you into the land of, the promised land of milk and honey. And God said, but I'm not going to go with the stiff-necked people. God is saying that Israel's rebellious. I'm not going with them because if I spend a hot minute with these people, I'm taking them out. That, uh, look, That's what he's saying. He said, I can't even spend a minute with them because I'm afraid that I'm actually going to take them out. So you guys go and I'm just going to hang back here. Moses steps in again as the servant of the people. And he says, how are the nations going to know that you're pleased with us? How will the nations know that you're pleased with me as the person that you've called to be the leader? If you won't go with us, don't bother sending us. Man, that ought to be the heart cry of the church. God, if you don't go with us, don't bother sending us. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses depended on God's pleasure. He sought to please God as a servant. You know, you're never going to make everybody happy, but serving people isn't about making people happy. Serving is about pleasing, making a pleasing sacrifice to God himself. The difference between serving God and serving people is very different. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, so we make it our goal to please him. Our goal as followers of Christ should be ultimately to please God and to do so in serving others. And a servant always seeks to please the master. Characteristic number four, is a servant chooses suffering. Moses was born a Hebrew. 
his people were slaves. We need to remember that. But he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh. Having two grandsons, I know that those are pretty important people in my life. Imagine how Pharaoh treated his grandsons and how he took care of them and how he ultimately protected them. Moses had the best of education. He had the best of resources, the best in, in, in anything related to one's health, in anything related to pr- protection. Moses had to come, though, to a major decision in his life. You see, he watched the, the Hebrew people, his people, and he knew they were his people. He watched them closely in their forced labor. In fact, one day he is out amongst the people watching them in their slave labor and he sees one of his countrymen being mistreated by an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses gets out of his chariot and he checks around to see if anybody's watching. He doesn't see anybody watching and he takes matters into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian in order to rescue the Hebrew. He thought nobody watched. He took the body and he hid it in the sand, the scripture says, and he thought, okay, everything's gonna be fine. Nobody saw it. But Pharaoh found out about it and Pharaoh began to seek his life, the life of the person that was raised as his grandson. So Moses had to flee from Egypt. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, 24 and 25. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose to suffer as a Hebrew. He made a choice. He willingly set aside his royalty in order to suffer. Does that sound like a picture of anyone else you've ever heard of before? The scripture tells us that Jesus set aside his deity and he came from heaven and he came to earth to do what? Not to be served, but to serve. I love that. Isaiah 53 refers to Jesus as the suffering servant. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says of Jesus, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus chose to suffer. Jesus chose to serve. But it it didn't stop there. Jesus chose to endure the insults. Jesus chose chose to endure the torture. He chose to endure the cross for you and for me. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says this, to, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Friends, you and I, we have been called to follow Jesus. We have been called to choose suffering. Jesus said it this way, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Number five. A servant is not ashamed. Moses tended sheep for 40 years. We would liken that to just being a farmer. When I was a kid, when we would get close to my grandparents, 
there would be a certain smell in the air that I would, I would smell. It's the smell of manure. I'm just being honest. And I would, sm- I would breathe deep. And I would say to my parents as a young child, we're almost to grandma and grandpa's house. I associated that smell with being near my grandparents' house. Imagine being a farmer and there's smells that go along with being a farmer and you are called into the palace to meet with the most powerful leader in the known world. Moses knew that shepherds were detestable to Egyptians. Moses has been a shepherd. You can't get rid of the stink. I'm sorry. You can't get rid of that. I mean, that's why farmers, they separate their barn clothes from their church clothes, okay? It's true. They separate those. Never the two shall ever meet ever together. And the, the biggest sin a farm kid can do is wear his church clothes into the barn for 30 seconds because if he does, he's gonna go to church smelling like the barn. Moses stood in front of Pharaoh and he smelled like sheep. God called Moses back to Egypt. He didn't feel up to the task. He didn't think that he was the one for it, but yet he chose to stand with the slaves. He knew that he was asking for something that was absolutely impossible. He was asking Pharaoh to release two million slaves, the Hebrew people. He had no position He had no power, he had no leverage, he had no respect. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26, it says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was willing to suffer disgrace. He he refused to be ashamed of the I am. Jesus warns us as his followers in Mark 8, 38. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. You think, how could anybody ever be ashamed of Jesus? You know, the Jesus that we know today, we forget that he was a convicted criminal. We forget that dying on the cross was him simply paying the price for breaking the law. And much of the world looks at it absolutely that way. The narrative that has been spun is that Jesus got what he deserved. But we know from the gospel that Jesus died not for his own sin, but for my sin and for yours. Friends, I believe that God is calling us as his body of Christ, as the church, to be humble, to not give up, to always long to please the master, and to not be ashamed. I don't know about you, but as a servant of God, here's one thing that I desire to hear above all else. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share 
in your master's happiness. This morning, if those are words that you are not confident that you're going to hear when you leave this earth and you stand before God, today can be the day that you say, God, I want to make sure that I'm going to hear those words. I want things to be right between you and me. So I'm just going to invite you right now, just bow your heads and close your eyes before we close this service. And if you are concerned that you are not ready to meet God, you're not ready to stand before God, you're not ready to hear those words, you're not sure that those words are going to be spoken as you step into his presence. And maybe you're like Moses and you feel like, you feel like a farmer that, that, that's coming in from the barn and you're stepping into the palace and before royalty and you're worried. Isaiah said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. But you know, Jesus came to forgive us, to make us right before the Father so that we come and we stand before him. God does not see our sin. God sees the blood of Jesus. And if you don't have the blood of Jesus over your life, over your sin, then you're not ready to meet the Father. You're not gonna hear those words, but today can be the day when you can be ready. You can be prepared to hear those words. As we close this service, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you feel like you're not ready, I want to make sure that today you're ready to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so before we close, if that's you, if you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Kevin, that's, that's me. That's me, yes, 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 yes. Hands going up all over the place. You can put them down. Let's all stand together, shall we? Come on, let's all stand and let's pray together. And I want us all to pray and, and to do so out loud. We're going to close with a song in just a moment. But let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, come on, pray it loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to be ready to hear the words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So I ask for the blood of Jesus to be applied to my life applied to my sin that I might stand pure and holy before a loving God make me as white as snow I pray God I want to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus name we pray amen if you prayed that prayer today I want to encourage you there's a there's a card in the seat pocket in front of you that says decide. I'd love to know that. I'd love to put something in your hands to help you on that journey. We're going to close our service with a song this morning. It's a song that we started with. It's a new song for us. And it's a song that says, make it soft. No, it doesn't. It says, make it what? <laughs>